Welcome to Tax and Super Australia's podcast, Tax Wrap, where we share developments, news and insights for all tax practitioners and SMSF professionals. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and share. We'd love to hear back from you, so send questions and comments, even suggestions for guest speakers, to podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Hello listeners, welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast, episode 182. I'm Steve Burnham. Oh, it's episode 182 and also the last episode for the year 2018. Um, I thought we'd um, more or less wrap up the year by looking ahead, looking at, ahead to 20, uh, 2019 uh, and uh, by way of uh, introduction of a new presenter that we'll be having, a, a fellow called Nathan Yee, who's the principal lawyer and um, at uh, Nathan Lee Lawyer, so he's a principal there, uh, and that firm takes care of structuring and tax, estate and succession planning, SMSFs and trust, asset protection and dispute resolution. And Nathan is the uh, principal lawyer at that firm. So he's going to be presenting uh, uh, a lot of our events uh, during the year, next uh, next year, 2019. And so I thought we'd meet him and uh, have a bit of a chat to see what it's all about and try to judge and gauge what we, we, what we can expect at these events. Hi Nathan, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Yeah, good to meet you. Sorry, good to see you all, and um, good to be here before Christmas. Oh, before, it's right before Christmas. But now you, you're you're going to have a greater association with Tax and Super Australia in the new year in 2019. Yes, looking forward to it, and, and looking forward to um, meeting new people and presenting to a new um, bunch. New and group, yeah. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah, and you, you'll be presenting on um, estate planning and what other sort of topics are we be looking at? Yeah, so estate planning, um, superannuation, and how tax effective estate planning and superannuation payments, um, whether it's uh, superannuation death benefits yep. or even um, structuring of superannuation funds, self managed superannuation funds, and uh, contributions and uses of, um, say, limited recourse borrowing arrangements oh, and yeah, things yeah. like that. That could be um, something that we'll have a lot to talk about in 2019, yep. and I yep. look forward to that as well. And the, yeah. the balance cap, the new thing that I suppose a lot yeah, of people are still yeah. getting their heads around. Still getting our heads around from um, 2017. The 1st of July 2017 changes are here yep. um, and are here to stay. Um, but obviously, um, any new planning when it comes to estate planning or even compliance um, with superannuation funds, self-managed superannuation funds, yep. um, need to take into account those um, 1 July 2017 rules. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that's that's unfortunately one is, of the is, is, is estate planning mm. something that you find that a lot of trustees don't really give thought to? I'm, I'm interested in that. Yeah, so um, the thing with estate planning is it's often taken for granted. Mm. And um, certainly when I was a uni student, I thought, oh, yeah, um, a will, uh, maybe a power of attorney or so or whatever mm. it is, you just do it and it's not a big deal or anything like that. A two-page will that you leave your assets on death to one person or another yep. and, and be done with it um, on, on, you know, during one's lifetime on death um, and that is it. But um, I suppose since we um, are faced with a whole lot of issues and challenges, mm. um, taxation issues, uh, family provision risk, family law and asset protection, um, you've really got to think about estate planning from, um, say, those four worlds or four factors. And um, I yeah. generally um, deal with estate planning um, thinking about those four issues at, at hand. That's yeah. actually something, Nathan, you've, you've just reminded me I was going to ask you about. Um, when I was um, reading a little bit about, uh, about yourself and your, your firm, you state that you approach uh, clients with what you call four worlds to face. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm interested in that. When you say four worlds, what do you what do you mean? Yeah, so there are four worlds that I think about um, when dealing with estate planning. So um, beyond the traditional death and disability, I think about um, things from an asset protection perspective, first of all. Um, and this takes into consideration, I guess, the risk profile of the will makers at hand and ultimately their beneficiaries. So if a will maker um, or a couple are in risky occupations or one partner is in a risky occupation, um, we need to take that into account in crafting the estate plan or at least dealing with the structuring and consider whether or not the assets of the family group are best protected from, say, a bankruptcy claim or financial risk in the event that that person um, were to face financial trouble in the future. I see. So, so yeah. when you say risky, you're talking about financial risk as well as I, mean, I assume physical yeah. risk when you, well, when you mentioned that. More, more yeah, financial risk or the okay. risk of being sued, say like doctors, solicitors, uh, dentists, any of those high risk um, uh, categories, right, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah, are those um, individuals best protected? Are those structures or assets best protected from any creditor risk? And also the, the children as well, just say mum and dad wish to leave assets to an individual, um, are those assets best protected um, from creditors or if there are, it's say one of the children is a doctor or um, an individual with a, a, a business or a level of risk, are those assets best protected um, in the circumstances where they are left as outright gifts? Oh, and right. probably not. So that's why we use testamentary trusts at times to, to deal with asset protection, which is the first, I think, thing that we generally talk about in the state planning context. Okay, yeah. okay. So, yeah. the, so asset protection is the one. What about the other worlds? Yeah. Well, about? the other worlds, yeah. <laughs> Two, three more. Okay. Um, so we've got um, taxation as well, which is a really big part and a big driver um, of estate planning with high net worth individuals and with um, high net worth individual family structures, say family trusts, self-managed superannuation funds, companies, or a combination of all three. All right. um, we try to minimize um, the taxation burden. Obviously, tax is here for a reason, but then people shouldn't be paying more tax than they should be. No, exactly. Um, but we work with the um, advisors and accountants um, to craft an estate plan which is tax effective. So the use of testamentary trusts that are able to have income splits amongst a wide class of beneficiaries, including children and minors um, under the you know minor children you know children under the age of eighteen. Yeah. Um, with testamentary trusts, they can be taxed at uh, full adult rates with the um, eighteen thousand two hundred tax free threshold, right, and then right. you've got progressive marginal tax rates on from there. Rather than having assets say um, gifted to an individual and having them taxed on any of the any of income that gets generated without the ability to split that income with any of their family members. So it becomes a bit tax ineffective oh, unless they restructure their inheritance. But yeah. with testamentary trusts, we tend to be a bit more flexible there. Okay, yeah, I yeah. see, I see. And I guess the third thing that we think about here is any family law risk. What is the issue um, with family law? Of course, we've got the family court on the one hand um, mm. that has the jurisdiction to look through trusts, companies, make orders against third parties, but then we try to minimize all that risk with proper structuring from the get-go. Um, sometimes the use of binding financial agreements um, and prenuptial agreements is necessary, yeah. but um, often that's easier said than done. I mean, you, you say to a um, client's child, I'll sign here, otherwise you can't get married to your um, <laughs> you know, future spouse or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and it tends to be a bit of an awkward conversation. So we try to educate the parents, look, this is um, obviously not, nothing's really bulletproof from a family law perspective, but we um, 
put in structures or at least different types of trust or control provisions under the terms of the will or um, uh, external documentation just to at least minimise the risk of a family law claim. Right, right. Bearing in mind, though, that the family courts just got that wide um, power to make orders against trust companies and other third parties. I, I have heard yeah. difficulties arise with, say, nominated death beneficiaries. Um, uh, and yeah. after a divorce, the, uh, the beneficiaries still listed here, and well, that can the get messy. Thing. Yeah, and the thing is, um, the question that's often asked is whether or not inheritance, binding, you know, through binding death benefit nominations, superannuation death benefits. Um, uh, other gifts under the terms of the will, are they part of a family law split? And mm. I suppose it all really, the, the famous words of a lawyer, it depends. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, I suppose you try to minimise that risk if you can, if you can get in in time um, and change the estate plan or at least deal with it in an appropriate way. Right. That would be best. And um, yeah, like family law is one of those sensitive issues that we we often have to wade through as well. I can see why you said yeah. you call it a world because yeah. it, <laughs> it is a law unto it. Well, it's not a law unto itself. I'm yeah. saying it's it's all encompassing, isn't it? That's right. And, and sometimes, it, you know, fam- I've been in family law matters or at least assisted family lawyers where um, the family law matter has actually taken years to resolve. And it's you know, it is sometimes a law unto itself just dealing with, um, you know, all these family law issues. Oh, but, right. um, yeah, I hope that, that doesn't happen too no. often. <laughs> yeah, and then finally, of course, the um, risk of a family provision or an estate challenge um, against uh, the, you know, the, the deceased's wealth on right. death. okay. That's yeah. often, um, and that's becoming quite uh, an issue, I think, in, um, in this day and age, particularly the ageing population. And, oh, yeah. There's people um, who think or who dispute the distribution of wealth. There's often, um, you know, estranged children or suspicious circumstances where wills get made. And in recent times, we've been in um, in litigation mode, so to speak, or dispute resolution mo- mode, I should say, yeah. um, when dealing with um, any of these uh, inheritance disputes, which is actually quite a quite an interesting area because a lot of the time people don't actually think about the tax implications of resolving a dispute until it's too late. Oh, really? Like um, what? How do you... Yeah, so, I mean, people should think about the rollovers, the CGT rollovers oh, that, that yeah. are there yep. um, to deal with, um, uh, you know, inheritance passing down to a particular beneficiary yep. um, at settlement or, or as, pa- as part of the settlement procedure. Um, and, and think about the tax implications, whether that's CGT, stamp duty, or, or the like in, in um, achieving what um, hopefully would be an amicable split of assets. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the time, people are just too hung up in the argument oh, yeah, between yeah. practitioners, between claimants, between beneficiaries of the will, yeah. that they fail to actually see that there is a tax-effective way of distributing assets. For example, give the superannuation to a tax dependent. Um, that would be the most tax-effective thing to do. Deal with real estate um, in a duty-effective manner, um, because you know you've got different uh, states and territories duties that apply. Some states and territories, in fact, most of them provide rollover relief um, uh, as in, in the deceased estate context. Oh, yeah. You might have family trusts and all that, but try to deal with everything in a tax most tax-effective way as possible, rather than just get hung up in the arguments. And that's certainly been something that I've had um, a lot to do with. Um, over time, uh, helping parties resolve disputes um, in a more tax-effective manner, mm. Um, mm. rather than just sort of being there for the fight and, and watching the claimants. So um, you're the you're the cooler head. 
well, hopefully. Try to be. Yeah. <laughs> try to be, yes, yeah. of course. Um, obviously, we can only do what we can if, if um, clients and, uh, say, the opponents um, want to listen. That would, That is absolutely, absolutely awesome and cost-effective. Oh, yeah. But then, of course, we've got some clients and some um, uh, opponents who are sometimes too far into the dispute yep. to even think about tax. So I think these things really should be thought about from the get-go, from the initial discussions um, as far as the dispute resolution is concerned. Don't wait until you get to trial or just one one hour before the mediation to, to raise your issues. Oh, right. yep. Certainly raise these tax issues early and I think that's what a lot of lawyers get lost in. And I think that gives the opportunity to a lot of um, tax advisors to get involved and and um, give some feedback as far as the uh, dispute is concerned. I know p- traditionally people think of um, disputes involving lawyers, but I think there is really good opportunity for tax advisors and, and different tax practitioners to also have their input as well and yeah, work closely yeah. with solicitors. And certainly that's something that we've valued um, over the years. Yeah, when, when yeah. you just mentioned the CGT rollover, yeah, yeah. I hadn't actually thought of that in, in yeah. part of a uh, deceased estate or any yeah, yeah, trusts, yeah. et cetera, yeah. but it's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. so what else can people um, expect from the Nathan Yee School of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot to live up thought. to now. <laughs> yeah, the Nathan Yee School of Thought, I suppose. Um, the, the, the way I approach estate planning, whether it's um, in practice or um, teaching or, or, or giving presentations, is that there is always more than one way to skin a cat. Right. Uh, there, is, there are many ways of dealing with uh, different issues, but the, the main thing is to brainstorm a whole lot of different areas and, and come to the most sensible outcome, but to have the client's objectives at the forefront of your mind. Right. In achieving that um, objective, what are the steps that we need to go through in getting there? And I think tax really should be at the forefront of people's minds in this day and age. You don't want to pay too much no. No more than what you need to. I mean, tax is there for a reason, but then um, you know you certainly don't want to you know, evade or avoid tax. You've got no, sort of part 4A issues and all that written all over there. But you want to manage it in a, in a proper fashion and proper manner. And certainly testamentary trusts um, Using the estate plan is a, is a common way of dealing with oh, yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. That that when you just mentioned part four, I mean that would be a ever present danger, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. In, in planning estates. I mean, you well, you do structure something just to get the benefit. Yeah. I, I would like to think, as far as part four A is concerned, that whenever you're dealing with estate planning, um, your main and dominant purpose of dealing with an estate is to actually achieve the client's objectives on death, yep. or at least you're, you're achieving um, their objectives to. Um, minimize risk or, or um, make sure that there's a smooth and, and cost-effective transition of wealth, say to the next generation on the death of both parents or whatever it might be. Yeah. And certainly tax is one factor, but I don't think it's going to be the dominant the, the dominant factor no, in, in the circumstance. So I, I wouldn't think, you know, I wouldn't think part for a um, should be uh, you know, a grave concern for, for advisors. But of course, um, you do need to be cognizant of the right. part for a um, issues as well. Mm. Um, but I, you know, certainly in my practice, um, we're, we're fairly conservative and in, in my presentations as well, you probably can see that I'm quite conservative in, okay. in, in relation to the tax issues. Um, but, um, you know, the, the tax rollovers, the CGT rollovers are there um, for a purpose. Yeah. And I think they should be considered in any um, uh, dispute resolution context, and as well as to the general estate planning um, practice as okay. well. Yeah. Um, Nathan, you mentioned before about super, superannuation matters and um, including the payment of uh, super death benefits. Um, tell us a little bit about the tax effective uh, 
approach to dealing with that? Yeah, so with um, superannuation, we often see this as a very large asset of the individual's wealth structure. So obviously that needs to be dealt with appropriately and all that sort of thing. And it's further more complicated by the 1 July 2017 changes. Don't get me started there. But (laughs) essentially, you you need to figure out on the death of, say, um, a two-member fund, which is often husband and wife um, or partner and partner or whoever, on the death of one of them, what is to happen to their superannuation death benefits? And the most important thing to note is that superannuation must come out. The changes that came into play from 1 July 2017 um, make it harder for superannuation to be retained in the superannuation fund structure. Um, we've got the $1.6 million cap to work with. Um, we've got the issues about superannuation death benefits tax to work with. and. It all depends on the ages of the members and whether or not they've got dependent children and the like. Right. But I would like to say, depending on their objectives, depending on the client's objectives, um, think about superannuation um, as something that you need to separately consider uh, as far as your estate plan is concerned. But that should be considered um, together with the will. So whether or not a binding death benefit nomination needs to be prepared in the circumstances all depends on, say, the circumstances and the objectives. Right. And if you've got, say, a, a, a husband and wife who are in their 60s um, and they, their children are well grown up or whatever it might be, it may be full well and easiest and most tax effective to pay superannuation to the survivor. Whereas if you've got, um, say, a young couple with, um, say, young kids, um, and there might be a huge life insurance payout and things like that, you may leave the discretion to the superannuation trustee, self-managed fund, say, for example, um, to pay superannuation at their discretion to the surviving spouse, to the kids as pensions or to the estate. Um, I'm getting into a bit, bit of technical territory here, but right. essentially you, you need to factor in the tax effectiveness of those payments into the estate plan. Um, it should be considered separately, but I think it needs to be so it should be considered separately as far as documentation is concerned, but right. I think it needs to be considered um, holistically and together with the estate plan when it comes to the preparation of wills and the estate planning exercise with the solicitor. So that's often something that gets taken for granted oh, as right. well mm-hmm. because people think, oh, your superannuation funds, you can just fill in forms, you can just deal with things. But I think you really do need to think about the Uh, tax issues associated with payments of super death benefits and how that gets factored into the estate plan as well yeah it can get complicated I mean just oh it can yeah Yeah, it's just like a a a bit of a puzzle and you're trying to piece together all the pieces all these moving parts and all that sort of thing life is complicated these days let me tell you life is complicated (laughs) and death is complicated yeah yeah that's right yeah so okay it's it's all it's all um going to be made clear I think yeah over the coming year uh, look, I look forward to, um, to to presenting to the groups and to meeting um, people at, uh, at workshops and other discussion groups, and it will be a very interesting year ahead. Um, in the meantime, I wish everyone a, a safe holiday, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year in 2019, and we look forward to seeing you then. Fantastic. All right, so that was Nathan Yee from Nathan Yee Lawyers, and expect to see and hear a lot more from Nathan uh, during the course of 2019. Now, uh, we haven't, haven't done a WTF, wacky tax fact, for a little while, but I've got one here just to wrap up the, uh, the year. And uh, this time, instead of looking forward, we're looking back. Uh, there's a lot of amazing facts and funny facts come from the past in taxation matters in Australia. So, 
Wacky tax fact goes back to World War I. The expenses of World War I were so great that the Commonwealth Government introduced three new taxes in 1917. 1917, also the year that uh, the Taxpayers Association, as we used to be known, uh, was formed in April in 19... Uh, oh, no, not 1917, 1919. What am I talking about? 1919. So we're coming up to our 100-year anniversary. So this was just before that. Sorry, I made a mistake there. 1917. Um, these three new taxes proposed were an entertainment tax, a wartime profits, air quote, tax, and a bachelor tax. Now, the last one prompted such a bitter protest from citizens, and especially the Catholic clergy, actually, that it was never put into operation. So the bachelor tax just never took off. I think it might have been there to also encourage people to, to enlist. So if you're either married or you enlisted, you uh, escape the tax. Anyway, that didn't happen. Bad idea. Um, the wartime profits tax was an interesting one. That was levied, uh, levied a tax on the difference between the profits a company might have made had the war never occurred and the profits it made due to the economic stimulus of the war. Now, that'll be a hard one to work out. Uh, the first one I mentioned, the entertainment tax, uh, was simply a halfpenny, or half a cent in today's terms, sort of. I mean, a halfpenny was a bit more than that then. Uh, halfpenny on top of the price of admission to movies, to the theatre, and to horse races. So there you go, the um, three new taxes to pay for the war. That's the wacky tax fact for this, uh, for this year. Um, I'd just like to mirror uh, Nathan's uh, wishes, of course, to all the listeners. Uh, I hope you have a great summer break. Stay well, stay healthy, stay safe. Uh, have a good time. Recharge those batteries. And we'll be back with you all the more refreshed and ready to go for 2019. I'm Steve Burnham. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>